is EM Pulse, bringing research and expert opinion to the bedside, with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Welcome back to EM Pulse, and Happy New Year! As promised, we have a special bonus episode for you today to look back on our first year of podcasting. It's been a pretty wild ride and more exciting than we could have expected. Yeah, as of today, we have had close to 30,000 downloads. We have listeners in every state in the United States, plus two territories, and in 94 countries around the globe. We've recorded 13 full episodes and 10 heartbeats. We were honored to win the Platinum Award in Best Rich Media in the eHealthcare Leadership Awards, and we've been featured on Capital Public Radio, our local NPR station, as well as a few local media outlets. And we've been recognized by one of our favorite emergency medicine blogs, Life in the Fast Lane. Yeah, it's been a pretty big year for us. And I just quickly have to say some thank yous. First, a huge thank you to the UC Davis Emergency Department and our chair, Dr. Nate Cooperman. They have supported us from the beginning when we really had no idea how this would turn out. And of course, another big thanks to our audio producer, Orlando Magania of OM Audio Productions, for the countless hours that you've put into making us sound good. And finally, to you, our listeners, you are why we do what we do. So thank you for listening, for subscribing, for leaving us reviews, rating us, and promoting us. We are always happy to connect. And as you know, you can find us at ucdavisem.com or on social media as at Impulse Podcast. So everyone is doing a top things of 2018 list, and we didn't want to be left out. So we want to share with you several of our favorite moments from the past year. So let's dive in. Sarah, our most downloaded episode has been episode two, Sold for a Chrysler 300, right? Yeah, and it's one of my favorites as well. Yeah, I think, I know I'm a little biased, but <laughs> I think this is one of my top, top favorite moments in this, and that is Annika's story. She starts off life with neglect, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, and she finds herself a victim of human trafficking. Take a listen. My trafficker had sold me because he knew what medical condition I was in. He knew I was close to dying. So he sold me to this other trafficker who did not know what condition I was in. I was sold for a Chrysler 300. That was my, my dead body price. And I was there for four days, and this other trafficker called mine and said, I did not pay for a dead body. You need to come pick her up, otherwise I'm taking my car back. He picked me up, and I was able to convince him to take me to the hospital instead of the desert because that was a thought of his. I convinced him because I said I was going to connect with this other trafficker while in the hospital, which I knew was a lie, but it, it actually made him drive me there because he wanted this car so badly. Annika ended up with many, many injuries and was actually at death's door when she walked up to the emergency department. And this is not our emergency department, but man, I can see how this could happen. For starters, I walked in, into this hospital in Las Vegas very sick, and the triage nurse was unaware of how physically bad it was. And 
I walked into the trio's nurse, and she said, please sit down. And I said, well, you don't want me sitting down. And I said this because I had infection and blood coming from my butt, and she really did not want me to sit down. And she's very rude with me, and she goes, excuse me, sit down. And so that's my first experience walking into the hospital. Fortunately, that was not the end. Bridget was a nurse here at UC Davis who took time to really care for Annika and made a difference and is part of why Annika is who she is today. I will say there was one nurse who is the reason I speak with Dignity Health, is the reason that I I do this work with hospitals specifically. And her name was Bridget, and she was the ICU here at UC Davis. And every time she would come on shift, she would make sure that she was my nurse. She always came in the room, and she would ask me how my day was, And whether that was a long-winded answer or, oh, I'm fine, she always wanted to know more. She made me feel cared for, and she spent a couple lunches with me that made me feel like I was important to her, that she wanted to hear what I had to say. And there was a couple times where um, I was experiencing trauma from a uh, plastic surgeon uh, resident who was doing rounds with me, and she stepped in, and she became that um, helpful person. And and she stood up for me and made me feel cared about, and she made me feel safe with this um, aggressive male who was trying to do his runs. I love how Bridget has made Annika feel safe in there and was protecting her patient. I think that's something that we can all do. And one of the awesome things from this podcast has been that Annika and I have continued to work on projects together. Um, we've spoken together, and we're recording a documentary together. And I have been so impressed with her the more that I work with her. And her maturity is amazing. We were driving down the street the other day to go to lunch. And she was like, yeah, something about I'm 22. And I I had to, like, slam on the brakes. And I was like, you're freaking 22, Annika? <laughs> like, it's just absolutely amazing what she has been through and the maturity that she brings at. Her story is something that we can all learn from. Yeah, and that's been one of the really cool things about this whole project for me is how much I've learned. And so some of the highlights for me, you mentioned that Annika's podcast that sold for a Chrysler 300 was our most downloaded episode. And our second most downloaded episode, a close second, was our inaugural episode, Pot-Tarts. And one of the things I found really interesting about this episode was hearing from Dr. Dan Colby and Dr. Amy Mullen about how marijuana edibles are packaged and marketed. And if you start to look at the edible products that are out there, especially from other states, they're really marketed towards children. Brownies, cookies, gummy bears. We even found some Pop-Tarts that were labeled Pot-Tarts. Really confusing, especially if you were a young child, um, and they're marketed to look exactly like the candy product. And they did reveal to us with some careful questioning, we built some trust with them, um, that they do have edible marijuana products in the home. And we realized that um, they were missing one. And what they were missing was a product that looks just like a Reese's peanut butter cup package with two peanut butter cups and an orange package. And that's what the child had likely gutted into in hindsight now. So this is just crazy to me. And 
Obviously, I'm not down with the kids. <laughs> I clearly have not seen these firsthand, but I I can see from a marketing perspective why they would want to do this. It's kind of like the same problem we saw with Camel cigarettes back in the day. Yeah. But the thing is, not only do these edibles look like candy, this is not your grandparents' marijuana. <laughs> so we know that pot is more potent these days than it was in the 60s, but I was surprised to hear our toxicologist, Dan Colby, say that the THC content is often two to three times as high or exponentially higher in the case of hash oil than it was back in the day. So it's easy to see why this is so dangerous for kids. Even though it's legal now in California, right, Prop 64, we don't have the same evidence or data we would have with other medications uh, because it's been illegal. It's been Schedule 1 for so long. Federally, I guess it is still Schedule 1. But we don't have the same data, but we do know that marijuana back in the 60s was maybe 6 7% THC. Marijuana now is closer to 12 13 14 15%, so it's much more potent. And then we also have the fact that people are making things like hash oil, their earwax, other terms for this, where they're, they're taking a gas and concentrating marijuana products into some sort of crystal or, or sticky liquid that might be a lot closer to 80, 85, 90% THC. So these products are far more potent in the same way people who tried marijuana in college know you don't need a box of marijuana cookies. Imagine a single cookie for a two-year-old. That's what it's like. It's like they ate a whole box of it. So while, again, it shouldn't be deadly, the dose makes the poison. Okay, Sarah, speaking of poisons, episode four, The Game Has Changed, was another powerful moment for me. Rachel was a wonderful person who shared her personal story with us about how she personally was addicted to opiates. I am a sufferer of migraines, and I was 16 years old, and my father had taken me to the emergency, and they had given me an opiate. And when I took that opiate, I'll never forget it, that this was exactly what I was looking for. And it felt like these two arms... And it was like someone that was comforting and empathetic and safe put their arms around me, and that was that. And I knew I had to have that. This is what I needed for the rest of my life. After she became addicted to opiates, she sought care in the emergency department and was turned away, Sarah, turned away for seeking care. I look back until I was in my early, early 20s, and my mother finally coaxed me into the car. I, I couldn't get into her car before. She would come looking for me, and I wouldn't, and I couldn't get into her car. But this time, I trusted her, and she said, I'm taking you to the hospital, and they're going to help you. And I got into her car thinking, I'm with my mom, I'm in her car, and someone's going to help me, and they're going to put me in a hospital because I'm ready to get off these streets. I don't want to live my life like this anymore. I don't want to be on the streets in the rain I don't want to do this. I don't want to see my friends dying. I want some help, and maybe I can become that veterinarian, and maybe I can become that nurse. And I got into the car with her, and I remember waiting hours with her, and I'm in this detox. They finally took me back, and they turned us away because I was just a little junkie, and I had this was part of it, and this is what I had to do and go through this pain. Rachel eventually was able to get out. She was able to get into a sober living situation and into a methadone clinic. 
Um, and she currently now works as a addictions counselor, which is a really awesome thing. Her story is powerful because as she was working as an addiction counselor, her son actually became addicted himself. And she describes walking through hotel rooms, looking for her son, knocking on doors, smelling the flesh, the infection. I mean, it's just such a powerful, powerful image of this mom who's been there and is now looking for her son who's addicted as well. But he had a different story because by the time he was addicted to opiates, our emergency departments and clinics across the United States were starting to use Suboxone as a treatment option for opiates. And I loved hearing Gail D'Onofrio talk about how this has really changed the game for opiate addiction. Now we just need more chairs to treat these addicted souls than we do hospital beds. And I think that's super amazing. And Rachel describes seeing a light in her son's eyes while he's on Suboxone and how he has this brand new life that she didn't have on in her own eyes while she was taking methadone. Certainly a place for methadone. It's just we have so many more options with Suboxone now. Yeah, Rachel's story was so powerful. And actually, all of our guests on that episode are pretty amazing. Another episode I really loved was Don't Be a Jerk. Um, We had Dr. Nick Gorton on to talk about how we can improve care for transgender patients in the ED. And we explored the concept of gender identity, gender expression, biological sex, sexual attraction, romantic attraction, all of which can be thought of as a spectra rather than as binary. This may be difficult for some people to conceptualize, but Nick explained it really well when he defined what transgender means. So transgender's often described as an umbrella term, which basically means that if somebody says they're transgender, they're transgender, right? But generally what you're talking about is people who, when they were born, they were assigned one sex, male or female. And then later on in life, we realize that that's not accurate, that their gender identity or their gender expression are something different from, not necessarily uh, just male or just female. There can be a spectrum, like you talked about the gender spectrum, between those two categories. When I talk about that, when I say gender identity, that's somebody's internal sense of themselves as male, female, androgynous, somewhere on that spectrum. Whereas gender expression is the things that you do to tell the world where you are in that spectrum. So the clothes you wear, the way you speak, the way you style your hair, all those sort of gendered presentations that we do. When you hear him explain it, it is not rocket science, but... Sometimes we in the ED and in our community get it really wrong. But there was this moment, as Nick and our guest host, Kara, explained how they identify, that was really fascinating to all of us. So I identify as a Black or African-American queer woman. I think that self-identification is incredibly important. Folks who are in any marginalized status and Our society have been defined by others for a very long time, and that has led to a lot of discrimination and bias and unfair, sometimes even violent treatment toward specific groups. I think that allowing folks to self-identify gives them the power back. And also, they're the ones who know what they are. Exactly. I'm a gay transgender man, and so what that means is uh, I was assigned female at birth. And later on said, nope, that was a wrong assignment. And so I chose to undergo surgery and take hormones. Not every transgender person does that, but that was the right thing for me. And I identify as male now, and my partner is a man. So 
That's why I identify as gay. And that, that sometimes confuses people too. The easiest way to figure all that out is just to ask the person you're talking to. And I totally forgot to mention, but I am cisgender. One of the reasons that we're doing this podcast and talking about it is because when you are in a group that, that is not the marginalized group, it's so easy to just forget. Oh, yeah, I'm in this group that doesn't have to deal with people misgendering me and being violent toward me and all of these biases. So it was an honest mistake that I'm acknowledging and just putting out there. And similarly, I didn't have to identify as white, you know, and I'm guessing many of the listeners uh, made that assumption because I didn't say it. So we all realize that we take for granted being part of majority groups, whether that's white or cisgender or straight, etc. So I don't have to verbally identify or define myself to anyone on a daily basis. And many people in minority groups are burdened with this all the time. So this is part of my white privilege. And the rest of the episode is really interesting as well, with Nick giving us lots of tips, so definitely worth a listen. But I can't move on without mentioning The Price of Beauty, which was a follow-up heartbeat that we did with Nick. And this one was so fascinating to me from a medical standpoint, because we were talking about two conditions that I really had never heard of, never been taught about, never really explored, one of which can kill you, and one of which is a horrible chronic problem. Transgender women, and it's not exclusively transgender women, you see this sometimes in, especially in Latina women, will use silicone injections to enhance their body. It used to be a lot more common, partially because transgender patients couldn't get access to surgical care. So they needed these procedures, they couldn't get them done safely, they couldn't afford it, their insurance wouldn't pay for it, so they did it themselves. And what it involves is taking just silicone that you get from Home Depot not medical grade, not sterile, and injecting it oftentimes in breasts, hips, buttocks, sometimes in the face, as a means to make yourself appear more feminine. So what I learned is that this can cause two horrible conditions. One is acute silicone syndrome, which can present looking like a PE or a stroke. And the other is a chronic silicone syndrome, which presents looking more like a cellulitis. And it's so important to know how to recognize these and to treat them because it's not what you would expect. Speaking of unexpected, as I was preparing for the story of the Santa Rosa fires, I knew we were going to talk about disaster. I knew we were going to talk about hospital evacuations. But I had no idea that Josh Wild's story was going to be so close to home. Josh Wild is an emergency department physician at Kaiser Santa Rosa and a hospital administrator. He was on a shift as the fires around Santa Rosa were getting closer and closer to his home when he received this crazy phone call that my nightmares are made out of. Now they're in that situation and my neighbor calls me on my personal cell phone, not realizing that I'm at work and I'm actually in a patient's room going over her x-ray, showing her how she didn't have a break in her ankle. It turns out she had a break in her foot, which I missed, but I guess... She, it turned, I, someone told me she posted on Facebook some very nice things about me. So I guess she forgave me under the circumstances. So my neighbor calls me and he's just shouting, get out, get out, get out. And he doesn't realize that I'm at work. And I said, Mike, I got to go. I hung up. I ran out of the room and I called my wife's cell phone. It was my daughter, Sophie, my 16 year old daughter, 15 at the time, who answered my wife's cell phone. And she is just screaming. That's all she can do is scream. And I don't know what's going on at that time. And I know that the fire is right upon them and she's screaming. And I'm telling her, just breathe, slow down. I'm trying to get control of what's going on. 
uh, and I can hear my wife in the background, we're driving, we're driving, we're driving. And they were literally driving through, you know, walls of fire and burning branches falling in front of them. We live up on this hill and there's only one road out. From one o'clock in the morning when Josh realized that the fire was close to his house to 1.30, his family was in the Kaiser parking lot. It's absolutely amazing and shakes me to my core. And the crazy thing is, Sarah, just minutes after he realized that his family was safe but his house had burned down, he was tapped on the shoulder to evacuate the Kaiser Hospital. It's a really insane story. And actually, some of our most interesting and powerful images come from this episode. Yeah, and Josh and Dane shared some of those pictures that you can also see in the show notes from that episode. And, you know, Julia, I honestly, I could pick pieces from every single episode that I would love to share and love to go back over. I don't think we have an episode long enough today to do that. (laughs) So let's lighten it up a little bit. We've been talking about some pretty heavy stuff, but let's go to something a little bit more heartwarming. Um, Back to our toddlers will sell their souls for stickers, which is also one of my favorites. I, you know, I honestly think it is my absolute favorite one. And my favorite, favorite moment from that actually involves both of our kids. The introduction, Sarah. This is Ian Pulse. Live your house. Sarah, and mommy. Episode 12. Toddlers will sell their souls for stickers. <laughs> yeah, I love the way that turned out. I think I could listen to that all day. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's been on repeat in our car. <laughs> but from what I understand, it took more than a little bit of coaching. It sure did. Okay, this is EM Pulse. Can you say that, Elia? In the pulse. No, look at mommy. This is EM Pulse. And impulse. Impulse. And impulse. Episode twelve. Episode twelve. With your host. With your host. Sarah Medeiros. Deus. Say Sarah Medeiros. Deus. No, say the whole Sarah. name. Sarah. Sarah. Adas. No, just say Sarah. Mommy. No, Sarah. Sarah. Medeiros. Yes. And mommy. And mommy. Episode 12. It's so tough. This is Ian Pulse. This is Ian Pulse. With your hosts. With your hosts. Sarah Medeiros. Sarah Medeiros. And mommy. And mommy. Episode 12. Episode 12. Not too bad. How about you? Let's try again. So just like you say, like you're talking to mommy or daddy, toddlers will sell their souls for stickers. Toddlers will sell their souls for stickers. You know, Sarah, I have to tell you, my oldest son, Isa, was on this podcast, and he was the one that had the idea for this podcast. As soon as we started recording for EM Pulse, he wanted to be on it and talk about what it was like to be a kid in the emergency department. I thought it was really interesting that he wanted to share his perspective and recognize that right away. So I interviewed him and it got down to the last minute and it turns out we were at the Hawaii conference. And so we had to go into the closet in the hotel in Hawaii and I interviewed him there. (laughs) And while I was gone, you interviewed Benny, who is one of our school and longtime friends, who is also a local Davis comedian. 
There was, I think, this thing, and I thought it was going to shut, and then it was going to go in circles so fast. I was like, oh, shoot, I want to head home. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Julia, your laugh always makes me laugh. (laughs) And I am not the only one, because one of our listeners back in April, Miles Mason, um, Twitter handle at MedMiles, tweeted about the fast episode, uh, not so fast. And he said, this is a great episode. I liked, and he'd listed several things. The last one of which is Jewel Magana's laugh at 1.5 X at 33, <laughs> <laughs> And so I thought, how amazing would it be if we heard your laugh on oh, fast no. forward <laughs> in a laugh montage. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> we get everything from you guys. Of course. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That's> crazy. Oh, <laughs> uh, so I think overall we end up sounding pretty slick. But as our audio producer and my husband Orlando knows, there is a lot of work that goes into sounding slick. And he has been secretly compiling some of his favorite outtakes. So we leave you with our blooper reel. And as a, 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 can I start that over again? Sorry. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Really? Oh my God, doctor. You're so, yeah. are you calling yourself a doctor? <laughs> and that's fair because we have our share of painful procedure. Ah, chihuahuas. <laughs> who's an associate professor of pediatrics at, uh, who's an associate professor. <laughs> <laughs> what type of cannabis? What type of cannabis were these children ingesting? Question mark. <laughs> Both Jeremiah Ray and Cameron mentioned that it's hard. Sorry. <laughs> it's not. And these tests are being integrated into a lot of. Me- the- sorry. <laughs> bing, bing, bong, bing, bong, bing, bong. <laughs> okay, so now fast. Okay. So there is so much more to say on this topic. So let's. The- blah, blah, blah. Perfect. Okay. All right. Should be good. Booyah. 